Broncos All-Decade Tackle Orlando Franklin. Two-time All-Pro linebacker Chad Brown. Former Broncos tight end and New York Times best-selling author Nate Jackson. 1043 The Fan welcomes you into the Players Club. Ah, this is the Players Club. Minus a player. Chad Brown is going to be out the next couple of days. Orlando Franklin will be holding it down here with me. And uh, Johnny Simmer behind the glass. little lightning out there. Driving down I-25 and I saw lightning touch ground a couple times. Uh, Orlando, did you see any of that on your way in? Did it touch down where you're at? It kind of looked over there like maybe where you're living. Um, Right when I walked out the house... I noticed, like, there was, like, it felt like, you know, under your peripheral, like a big flash. Yeah. But I was, wasn't paying attention, trying to hightail it up out the house. Uh, yesterday, me and my wife, we had a, a dinner with another couple downtown. So when that happens, I try to park my car on the street instead of in the driveway. And I don't want to wake the kids up. You know, my, my exhaust is done up on my truck. So it tends to be pretty loud. Uh, so with that being said, that last night parked on the street. So this morning when walking out in the garage in the rain, try to keep my head down, but did notice like a big flash of lightning out of my peripheral. So I wonder if that's what you are talking about. right? I'm now. talking about the big lightning bolts coming out of the sky and touching ground out there, which I saw down coming down I-25. So hopefully you guys didn't get chopped by that thing. But we got a lot to get into today. Um, Denver Broncos training camp eight days away. They are, well, the rookies are already there, so they might be there right now sitting down. Actually, you know, when, when, when I played ball, we always had our team meetings at 9 o'clock on the dot. So maybe Sean Payton does the same thing. So maybe right now, you know, he's, he's addressing the guys and he's got PowerPoint and things like that trying to teach them. Cause, cause when you're teaching guys, it's different than going out there and, and, and getting out on the practice field and actually doing it. You got some time to go over these concepts in, in depth. I think it's pretty cool that he gets those rookies in there a little bit early to just spend some classroom time going over the fine, the intricate details of each route of each concept. It's not just, Hey, here's the play. Go run it. There's rules to everything. And why do we have those rules? I imagine that's what he's putting in, um, here today. So we're going to get into the Broncos training camp. We're going to get into, uh, PS2's Madden rating. Um, and we're going to get into the MVP of each position group, and we're doing the DBs today, the defensive backs. But I want to run something by you, Orlando, because um, Hard Knocks is is a show that a lot of people like. I enjoy watching it, too. It gives you a behind-the-scenes look at what goes on in a training camp. Um, the New York Jets begrudgingly accepted being the team on Hard Knocks this year. They didn't want to do it. It was the first time where... They had to just select a team. They had to accept it. They're not going to let cameras in to the coach's room when they cut a guy. They think it's, quote, not humane. Do you agree with that decision by the Jets not letting the world see when a guy gets cut? Absolutely. Um, That's honestly been... Okay. I've had two beefs with Hard Knock since it started. One, it's all eyes on me. And every year, come on, you see it every single year. There's a guy that is giving you a little bit of extra because the cameras are there. Nobody loves to be in training camp. People are miserable. Nobody does extra work in training camp either, except for just being out there on the football field. So, yeah, yeah, you go out there early, 
and you get a little bit of extra work in. And when practice is done, you get a little bit of extra work in, but you don't do what J.J. Watt did when the Houston Texans had it, where it's late night after meetings, you're out there in your regular clothes, you're hitting a bag. Like, that's a little bit extra for me. So um, I've always had that beef of who's going to be the, hey, camera, look at me guy and wants to be on camera. And every year there's one or two on each and every team. But also the fact that they bring them in that room and let them see that intimate moment and let them see when a guy's hopes and dreams, everything that he's been living for his whole entire life just disappear into thin air. Right. When these guys get cut in training camp. So a lot of these guys don't get another opportunity when it's these one off cuts. Right. At the end, there's a mass cut to get down to 53. But when that happens, that's when teams are moving and rolling and trying to fill out their roster. So guys tend to get other opportunities. But at the start of training camp, how you cut down from your first cut. That first wave, a lot of those guys never really get another real chance unless a lot of guys get injured on a football team at a certain position. So I've always thought that it was inhumane. I've always thought that they should not show it. And I'm glad that Robert Sala and his coaching staff are like, the heck with that. We're not going to do this. All right. Oh, hey. Would you look at that? It's time for the next word in our fast lane to Cheyenne. We're giving away the grand prize of the year with tickets to Zach Bryan, Tim McGraw, Cody Johnson, Eric Church, Old Dominion, Five Finger Death Punch, and several more. That's Cheyenne Frontier Days. Okay, listen up. Your next word is and. That's right. The word is and. So listen to Stokely and Zach later today for your next word to be in the fast lane to Cheyenne. All right. I agree with you, Orlando, what you're talking about with um, with the cameras being in that moment, and I think it's twofold. It's the kid who's getting cut, and knowing you're on camera, like you see the camera up there in the corner, you know that you're on hard knocks, you know you're getting cut, and it's hard to have an authentic moment and have the experience you're having. Maybe you want to have a conversation with a coach, maybe you want to cry, maybe you want to say something, maybe you're angry, whatever it might be, but you don't want your emotional response to that moment to be dictated by a camera. Like when a camera's on you, you can't really be yourself. I mean, some people can, but most people can't. These guys aren't actors. They're not used to having a camera up in their face during emotional moments. So it's for the player, but it's also for the coach because the coach might want to say something that he doesn't want the world to hear. You know what I mean? Whether it's about this person, like the, the, the bond, his friendship with a kid, what his plans are for the, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? And so I think that this moment should be between those two men and um, it should be a sacred moment because you are telling someone their dream is over. Yeah. You know, you are telling them that, Hey man, like <laughs> this is the end of the road for you. And I imagine as a coach, that's gotta be the hardest part of being a coach is telling guys that it's over. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of us start playing this game at a very young age. I think football is transitioning also and, you know, maybe that's a conversation that we can have next week or, or something before these guys really start getting to go. Because I started playing football at seven years old. The, the model is really not that anymore. You know, you get guys that don't even play football till high school, don't even play tackle football till their last couple years of high school, and yet they still get this opportunity. Is that a better uh, method and philosophy in moving forward, or is it the the grind of it and getting into it as early as possible? But no matter how you cut it. When you are in that locker room and you, you, you it, it's the hardest thing to see. Nate, I've never 
been a part of football teams where I've got released. I got released one time in my career, and that was from the Chargers. And I told them, hey, I need you guys to either trade me or release me because I'm not ready for this move up to L.A. Like, I didn't come out here to San Diego to go up to L.A. I didn't want to do it at all. All right, so for me, once I was released, it was a sigh of relief. Like, I was like, okay, and I knew that there was other opportunities out there for me. With a lot of guys, especially what's getting ready to happen in hard knocks and early in training camp, there's not a lot of other opportunities. These guys are the other, it's the opposite of way around. When these guys get cut, they're constantly the ones calling their agent. Their agent's not the one calling them. Yeah. You know, so it's such a unique situation. And, you know, I've never thought of it from the perspective of, of what you kind of just put out and not allowing those guys to be their authentic self and really show the emotion that they would want to show in a moment like that. I've always just looked at it from the opposite aspect where, you know, as a viewer, I get it. You're privy to a lot of things. I don't think a viewer should be privy to when a person's dreams are being crushed. Yeah. Um, I was one of those kids who didn't play till high school and it was, I wanted to play earlier. My parents wouldn't let me play tackle football till I got to high school. Um, and I saw you posted something on Twitter of, uh, of your little boy, your littlest one on ice skates. Is, are you going to put him into hockey? Is, are you worried that hockey is a, is a violent sport like, so, like football? Um, so hockey gets, it is violent. Um, I would argue in a different conversation that the hits on hockey are bigger hits than what you um, obtain or get on a football field. But hockey doesn't get physical until like juniors, until you're like 14, 15. You're not really allowed to cross check and and forecheck. And so I look at my five year old right now who's absolutely amazing on skates and my, you know, two year old and two years and nine months, right? Uh, That's my youngest right now. And he's starting to figure it out. It feels like yesterday it finally clicked for him. Hmm. And I'm excited about this journey for them. I'm excited about being a hockey dad, but I'm excited also knowing that they're going to be able to save their body. I was doing tackling drills at seven years old. I wasn't saving my body. When I got to college at 18, I remember Randy Shannon bringing in like this specialist, this concussion specialist, and they were explaining what a concussion was. And this is back in 2006. And I'm looking like, man, I've had a couple of those. So I never had like the right people around me to understand what some of these injuries were. And I remember having concussions and going right back out there and playing and, and feeling sick all week and telling my mom that I'm nauseous and not feeling well. And my mom's just like, okay, like here, you know, drink some tea. Like that's the remedy for Jamaican households. Like, How old you got are a you? Headache, stomach ache, all these different aches. Drink some tea, you'll be fine. Um, How old were you when you were having that experience? Um, as I remember as early as, Nine years old. I remember having one where I got my bell rung, but not knowing what it was all the way until 18. So had many more and they, none of them were dealt with the right way. So, um, I'm going to try to keep my kids in hockey and tennis as long as possible because I truly believe that with those two sports, we, we could transition to any sport come high school if we want to go in a different direction. So should I get you a hockey dad bumper sticker or a tennis dad bumper sticker for your truck? I'll take both. It's a big bumper back there. I'll take both. <laughs> it is a very large bumper. All right, um, we're breaking down each position of this Denver Broncos roster heading into training camp and choosing an MVP of that position group. Today, it's the defensive backs, one of the strengths on this team. We'll dive into that next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson.
Sports.com. I'm daring to suggest that Russell Wilson might struggle again this year. And and people are mad. Mm. And they're calling me all sorts of names. Why did they got to hit you with the name call? It's always like it involves trash and poop and things like that. I'm yeah. talking about. Just give me your take. Give me your reason why you think I'm wrong so we could have an adult conversation. You don't need to be rude or disrespectful. Yeah, there was no there was no rebuttal. <laughs> there was no rebuttal. There was just, just this article's trash. Insult. Yeah. 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 Um, but we're going to get into that a little later. And, um, you know, it's. Yeah, I'm not going to go too far into it, but ba- basically, um, I do believe Russell could struggle. I hope not. I hope not. I hope they win the Super Bowl. I hope it. I hope. I love the Denver Broncos. I, I thought you made a really good point yesterday about. You know, once you became a Denver Bronco, becoming a Denver Bronco fan for life, mm-hmm. and, and understanding the the tradition, the the integrity, the standard of excellence, just the community, the whole shebang here um, speaks to your heart in a way that is going to last forever. And it was the same way for me. So when I when I um, you know give any sort of criticism or analysis, it's based on this love and the hope that the Broncos can get back into the winner circle. But we're going to get into that article a little bit later. Uh, about why I think that Russell might struggle this year, where others might think he, that he's destined to be comeback player of the year. But right now we're getting into these defensive backs, and we're going to choose an MVP of this group. Before we get into that, who was your MVP last year of this group, Orlando? Um, the DBs, huh? MVP? Of defensive backs. Come on, man. We, we, everybody's MVP. The same one, right? Uh PS2. Not Justin Simmons led the league no. in the interceptions? No, no. Did he lead the league at interceptions? He did. Last year? He was tied for a league league with six. Wow, that's wow. quiet. Quiet year, right? Quiet, but sneaky good year. But um no PS2. PS2 got majority of the action. It's always gonna be hard for me to kind of pick like the safety because their job, right? Especially that free safety position where you kind of get to roam and you kind of get to sit back there and you don't really go down in the box like Kareem Jackson's job or safety opposite Justin Simmons. I just feel like his job is a little bit harder because it kind of dictates. Are they running the ball? You got to show fast in the run game. Or are they throwing the ball? You also have to have cover skills back there. What do you mean Not, show fast in the run game when you say that? Um, Come downhill. Right, if it's a two safety high shell and you're playing cover two or cover four, and um, you know uh, it comes or some t- type of man-to-man coverage, but you're showing a two high shell with two DBs back there. Now, when that quarterback turns his back and goes to hand the football off, if you are that that safety that's supposed to be in the box and supposed to have run responsibility, that eighth guy that's added, you got to be able to come downhill. You got to come downhill right now. Trigger, right? You can't sit there and dilly dally, and that might that be the difference between a five yard gain and you know twenty five yards. Explosive might even take it to the house type of situation because the angles now become a huge issue. Um, so for me, back to what I was saying originally, it's just always been hard to kind of look at 
this DB room and give it to a safety when you have one of the better corners on the football team in PS2. So PS2, I think, was the, the MVP last year. You, you think it was Justin Simmons? Um, no, yeah, I think it was Justin Simmons last year. I think okay. uh, I think PS2 played really, really well. It would be hard to choose, you know, it, 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 you can't go wrong, one of those guys. But um, I thought Justin Simmons played lights out. He was consistent. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it was Justin Simmons last year. But but before we choose who it's going to be this year, last year the Broncos gave up 210 yards per game through the air. They were about 11th or 12th in the league with that. The best team was the Eagles defensively um, through the air with 180 yards per game. So that's about 30 yards away from um, the leader there. But, of course, there's context to why you give up yards through the air. It's just not about your defensive backs. It's about the pressure you're putting on on uh, the quarterback. And this team had a tough time putting pressure on the quarterback, especially in the back half of the season. They lost a lot of guys. Bradley Chubb was traded. Um, Draymond Jones got hurt. Uh, Randy Gregory wasn't around. So they lost a lot of the guys that were putting pressure on the quarterback and weren't able to do so. That affects the back end. But they still pl- played pretty well there. Um, and Damari Mathis was a rookie who had a lot of playing time last year, got a lot of opportunities to go out there and play opposite PS2, who everybody knows is one of the best corners in the league. So they're going to go to the opposite side. So penciled in as the starters going into this season, you got Damari Mathis there at the right cornerback position. You got Justin Simmons at free safety, Kareem Jackson, how old is he? Thirty six? Is that how old Kareem is, Johnny? He's up there. He's older than Russell Wilson. He's probably one of the oldest guys on this team. Thirty five years old, a leader in that locker room, and played high level ball last year. And there was a question as to whether or not Kareem Jackson was going to come back last year. He did on a, probably a reduced deal, smaller than he thought he'd get or wanted. But he came in and performed at a high level. And um, I know he has the trust of this coaching staff. So. He's a strong safety, and we know we've got Patrick Sertan at left corner. Now, the backups here, we got, well, Kwan Williams listed as a backup. He's your nickel corner, very important position in this league, a guy who could come in and cover a slot receiver. It's a unique type of skill set. He's also a very good tackler, and he's a very good in the backfield. He's, he's good at blitzing situations. Uh, backing up Kareem Jackson, we've got Caden Stearns. He's been around for a couple of years, has shown some flashes. Um, will he step up and become the heir apparent to Kareem Jackson when he eventually can't go anymore. P.J. Locke backing up Justin Simmons and uh, rookie Riley Moss backing up Damari Mathis, and he could see some action at, at nickel corner apparently as well. Um, and then we got Isang Bassey still hanging around. DeLaren Turner-Yell, he's a safety, and he's backing up Caden Stearns. Uh, Devon Key, he's a free safety behind P.J. Locke. Uh, Traymond Smith, a cornerback behind Riley, Riley Moss in the depth chart right now. Now, we've got to say these depth charts don't mean a ton right now um, because we, I've heard a couple people mention Jaquan McMillan and the fact that he flashed in minicamp. They got him last on the depth chart right now. He could easily move up. And then J.L. Skinner, a large, big, big man safety drafted out. Of, I think he was, uh, where was he, Boise? Boise State? Big dude, big safety. Sean Payton likes his big boys. Then Delonte Hood is another corner on this roster, going to be fighting for a roster spot. Um, okay. Who's your MVP this year? Orlando Franklin. Um, so for me, I got to go Kwan Williams. Um, you know, wow. I, I think the easy choice is PS2 or Justin Simmons in this situation. I think 
PS2 is probably going to be in a situation that we've seen before in the past, right? Where the Richard Shermans, right? The Darrell Revises, where kind of you just don't even go that way. Champ Bailey, right? Where now teams are, he has earned the respect unless there is a elite quarterback and wide receiver pairing that I thought last year we saw that with Devontae Adams and Derek Carr, even though that Josh McDaniels didn't want to keep Derek Carr there. I think Derek Carr can be borderline elite. And he could, you know, have his cake and eat it too and, and put the ball wherever he wants to have success with that wide receiver. So unless there's a elite level pairing this year for, um, these games this season, I don't really see PS2 really getting tested that much. You know, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go out there and be elite pass. And Jimmy throws the ball away once a game. He throws it to the defense, right? So when you start looking down the Broncos season, I don't think PS2 is going to get that much work. Uh, Justin Simmons, he's going to continue to have solid years. But I think the person that has the opportunity to make the most impact is Kwan Williams because you're going to get to see kind of what Kwan brings to the table. When he's just a nickelback. Hopefully this team could stay healthy and K1 could just come in on your dime and your nickel stuff and now playing against those slot receivers because I truly believe he's one of the best nickels in the game. And I saw it last year when a guy was banged up, you know, it looked like Iron Man every week. Like he came out there with all the pads, right? And on the elbow and on the shin and different things going on with him, but yet he still found ways to have success out there. So give him another year in uh, here in Colorado playing for the Broncos. And I think K1 could really be that MVP out of that room this year. K1 Williams. MVP. I love it. He uh, came over from the 49ers and played really well when he was in there last last year. He did get injured. He did uh, have a, a couple of injuries he was fighting through. So there's always that. There's always that injury bug that gets guys as they play longer and longer in this league, especially positions like that where you're all over the field. Uh, but I, my MVP, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here, and it's something I said um, last week, I think Damari Mathis is going to be your de- defensive backs MVP because he's going to get tested and he's going to have the most opportunities out there. I really like Damari Mathis and what he showed last year. When I'm looking at a corner, I want to see that he's not affected when he makes a mistake because every corner makes mistakes. They get beat. They get burned. The, the guys on the other side, they get paid a lot of money too. They're very good at what they do. They know where they're going and you don't as a defensive back. That's one of the hardest jobs in the league is playing cornerback and covering a world-class athlete who's sprinting forward and you're sprinting backwards. you got to flip your hips in different directions and try to stay with them. It's a really, really hard task. You're going to get beat, especially when you're opposite PS2 and teams are testing you like they did to Mari Mathis last year. I like the cut of his jib. I like the look on his face when he got beat. It was like, whatever, I'm ready to go. I've already erased that from my memory. Damari Mathis is going to have a ton of opportunities. He's going to get pushed by Riley Moss and Jaquan McMillan and whoever else flashes, and he's going to end up with eight interceptions, and he's going to lead this team. Damari Mathis, my MVP of the defensive backs. And if, and if Damari Mathis can play like I'm suggesting he might be able to play, this defensive backs um, group is going to be perhaps the best in the league. I really believe that. And they can do it, but it hinges on that right cornerback position. So is it going to be Damari Mathis or someone else? I believe it's going to be Damari. So go get it, young man. Training camp starts in eight days. All right. Um, hey, more football is coming to Colorado. Did you guys hear about that? Also, Ryan Clady, your former teammate, my former teammate. Does he belong in the Broncos' ring of fame? Andrew Mason thinks he might. We'll talk about that next. 
The Players Club welcomes you into the morning mixtape with a look at the biggest stories in Denver sports. Here's Orlando, Chad, and Nate. Colorado does know how to party, man. When I first got here, I was like, wow. I did not know the social life scene was going to be so robust as it was in Denver, Colorado, like downtown Denver. When I got here in 2003, was cranking. It was crackalacking. It was really, really fun for a young single NFL player like me. All right. um, Hey, speaking of Colorado, more football is coming to town, guys. We're still waiting on more details, but it was announced Earlier this week that the revived Arena Football League will be coming to Colorado. Orlando is the AFL, a style of football you could see being more successful than other supplemental leagues like the XFL or the USFL. Uh, Yeah, I I think you can be successful, especially you just have to be strategic in where you decide to put some of these teams. Like, I think it's great, even though Colorado is crowded with all the professional teams we have here, I think it's great to put an AFL team here because Bronco tickets are super expensive. I know I'm going to be more inclined to go to an arena football game with my kids right now with the, their age groups than a Bronco game just because of ticket prices and what it costs to get through the door. Um, so I think that this is super smart. And you can be successful if you target the right markets. And those are the markets where everything else is already way expensive. And you try to look at it and say, man, we want to get little kids involved in the game of football. Like, make it little kid friendly um, as far as what you do during timeouts and things like that. But I, I love this. I think this is great for our community here in Colorado for sure. Have you ever been to an arena game? Uh, no. I've watched plenty of them on TV. Um you're talking to a person, Nate, that it, it took me four years in the NFL to go to an NFL game that I wasn't playing in. I never had been to an NFL game growing up. So oh. it's going to be a little bit different as far as arena games, right, go as well. And um, I think, I, I believe, like, the, the crush was around when I first got here, but then shortly after, very soon after, wasn't around as well. Did you go to CFL games growing up? Yes, been to a ton of those. Okay. Been to a lot more of those than NFL games that I haven't played in for sure. Who's your Who's your hero, football hero, growing up? Um, Mike Pinball Clements, man, smaller, <laughs> undersized running back, but was Mister Everything to the Toronto Argonauts, and then became a GM and worked in the front office. And I was just like, man, this guy's career is unbelievable. Yes, uh, Arena Ball is um, a fast-paced game. It's super high scoring. It'll be like 55 to 42. Uh, some different rules, some different motion rules. I had some buddies who played arena football, and there was an arena team in San Jose, the San Jose Sabercats, who um, was kind of a feeder system for some of the coaching, uh, to some of the coaches in the area. So I do like arena football, and I love that they're bringing arena football to Colorado. We'll see if the fans embrace it. We shall see. All right, Ryan Clady, your former teammate, my former teammate, that's pretty cool. We both had a teammate that was the same dude. Elvis, nice. du- Elvis Dumerville as well. Champ Ooh. Bailey as well. Chris Cooper as well. Um, uh, DJ Williams. DJ Williams as well. Matt Prater. Matt Prater, yeah. Yep. Um, who else? Did you have No Shine? No. No Shine? No. Yeah, no. I missed no. him. Yeah, that was, a, that was a McDaniels hire. But Ryan Clady. 
Uh, what about Ryan Harris? Yeah, Ryan Harris. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, Ryan, man. It was funny when Ryan got drafted. I had already seen his MTV thing, <laughs> and so I already uh, knew who Ryan was, and yeah. he was just like making a whatever it was called, made or whatever it was. But he was all, all already like an MTV star to some people who mm, watched MTV, just like a prima donna, yeah, all no. type of finds in the offensive line room. Right, exactly. I teased him mercilessly, but Ryan is a great dude and a very successful offensive lineman. Here, there's a tradition of that here with the Denver Broncos, and Ryan Clady was part of that. Andrew Mason writes an article making the case, and this is on denversports.com. You guys got to check it out. Making the case for Ryan Clady to be inducted into the Ring of Fame. Um, Clady is one of just 13 Broncos in an exclusive club, writes Andrew Mason. At least two NFL Pro Bowl appearances and two first-team All-Pro selections. The other 12 members, Steve Atwater, Champ Bailey, Terrell Davis, Randy Gratishar, Peyton Manning, Carl Mecklenburg, Von Miller, Tom Nalen, Riley Odoms, Shannon Sharp, Rick Upchurch, Lewis Wright, every single one of them. Broncos royalty, and they're all in the ring of fame except Ryan Clady. Does Ryan Clady deserve to be in that ring of fame, my man? Uh, absolutely. So, hold on, Vaughn's in the ring of fame? Oh, he will be. Yeah, I guess he he's will. Not, yeah, yeah, he will be. Okay, right? so those, um, maybe not all. Yeah, I thought. Uh, oh, Miller's not eligible yet. Yeah. 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 Still got to retire first, right? <laughs> I guess um, so. But he will be, right? Yeah. We we do know that. But um, absolutely, Ryan Clady deserves to be in the Broncos' room of fame. I, this is just disrespectful, that the fact that he's not uh, eight seasons with the Denver Bronco. Uh, you look at, you know, his rookie year and what the plan was. The plan was for him to rotate series. That's what it was. Going week one, hey, you're a rookie. Uh, yeah, we know you're a first-round pick, but you know we don't think you're ready yet, so the plan is to rotate series. He goes out there for series one. His offensive line coach says, hey, you're, go- you're going back in. And then, you know, series three, he's looking at the sideline. Am I out, coach? No, you're going back in. And he just becomes the full-time starter and holds out down that position for the next eight years. Were there some injuries? Absolutely, there were some injuries. But let's look at the fact that he tore his patella after his rookie year and was back the following season, right? Did not miss any time when people thought that he wasn't going to be ready to go. So this guy is a tough guy. When he lives Frank back in 2013, I remember right after that, the 2014 season, and seeing the behind-the-scenes work that he had to put in to make sure he was good to go, I almost felt bad for the guy. Because, you know, the treatment starts at 6.30. He was showing up at 6 a.m. And that ankle, that foot was hurting him every single day. And you knew it. But he made sure he was available for every single game the following year. So I look at that track record. I also look at the fact that, you know, I don't believe that you truly get Peyton Manning if you don't have a young Ryan Clady to protect Peyton's blindside coming off of those neck injuries as well. So I look at all these different things to say, yes, this guy does deserve to be in the ring of fame. And um, the icing on the cake, rookie year, Jay Cutler did not give up a sack as well. Wow. So I don't know what we're waiting on. I think he should already be there. Can't wait till he is inducted into the ring of fame because I will be at that 50-yard line out there at that Broncos stadium hanging out with my buddy. Hell yeah! <laughs> what was it that made him so good? Um, Wow. Yeah, I, ever since I was a kid, my offensive line coach used to tell me effort requires no talent. So I would always go out there and give as much effort as possible. Looking at Ryan Clady, looked like he gave no effort. Looked like everything was easy. Looked like he was always under control. He understood the angles. He had strong hands, but his footwork just looked like he was almost flouting on a cloud. 
where you look at me now at the right tackle position, I look like I'm getting ready to rip a quad kicking out there. So um, I would say the ability to never really panic, but also you mix that with really great hands and having it from the neck up. And, man, you got yourself a good offensive lineman. And it's shocking because this is a guy that didn't have a lot of offers coming out of school. Went to Boise State. Boise State got really, really good. He was a consensus, consensus All-American out there, but then becomes a first-round pick because of it. And from day one, holds it down. So uh, I think that the want to, the desire, there's so many different things that made Clady good. But the thing that's surprising of the most, he doesn't talk. Like, Clady's one of my best friends and probably said five words to me as a rookie. He's just not a big talker. He lets yeah. his play do all the talking for him. Yeah. You talk about, like, guys who it just looks easy for, smooth and not fighting it at all. It just had me th- got me thinking about, you know, receivers and running backs and guys who just – the routes are so smooth. The breaks are so smooth. Like, Brandon Lloyd, you played with Brandon Lloyd. Yeah, that's another guy, right? Yeah. I actually played with Brandon Lloyd in San Francisco when he was a rookie. A long time uh, before you ended up playing with him here. What about Eddie Royal? Did you play with Eddie Royale with Chiefs? Yeah, played with Eddie Royal, played against him in college because he went to VTech and I went to Miami. Uh, yeah, that's another guy. RamosLaw.com text line. Who's the smoothest player you ever seen out there uh, running routes or, or doing a kick slide or whatever it might be? Just making it look easy out there. I'm kind of at a loss for who what those about dudes Marcus are. Marcus Trout. I don't know. Who's that? D, D- Tackle. From Florida? Oh, he makes it look easy? No, I'm saying, uh, did you play Oh, no, with him? I didn't know. No, no, no. no. Marcus Trout? Yeah. I don't think I did. All right. We're going to get into this article I wrote, guys, and it's about um, some, look, I, I hope I hope the Sean Payton-Russell-Wilson Mar- marriage results in multiple Lombardi trophies. I hope 10 years from now they both retire on the same day, and five years after that they get inducted to the Hall of Fame on the same day and both introduce each other in tear-filled speeches. That's my hope. My concern is that that may not happen. What are my concerns? Well, I'll outline those, and you guys can react to them next. You've been admitted VIP entry into the Players Club with Orlando Franklin, Chad Brown, and Nate Jackson. Welcome back to the Players Club. It's a reggae week. Barrington Levy right there. I asked you guys, who's the smoothest? Who's the smoothest ever to tote the rock or even just be out there on a football field? And we got some good answers. LaDainian Tomlinson made it look easy. He really did, man. Yeah. Um, LT he hit that hole. Yeah. Made it look easy. Um, Randy Moss. <laughs> His legs are so right? long. Yeah. Just be able to separate and pull away from you. Darrell Revis. Champ Ellie. Man. Um that last year, CP was here with the Denver Broncos, TD, during that 2,000-yard year. Mm. Um, there's been countless guys. Um, Troy Palomalu. I mean, the plays <laughs> that he made and how he made it look. Uh, unbelievable. Man, but I think it's harder at the offensive line and defensive line position because 
there's no matter what, even though you make it look easy, there's going to be a, like I made that, I told you about Clady, right? In his rookie year, not giving up a sack. I remember having a conversation with Clady and was like, dang, like that's flipping awesome. Like that is so cool. And he's like, yeah, if we didn't have Jay Cutler, there's no way in hell that doesn't happen. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, Jay bailed me out on a couple of those. You know, there was like five or six plays where Jay would just get rid of the ball quick where I, I might have been wrong or it wasn't perfect and, you know, might have got, you know, beat on a play. So there's more and more opportunities to kind of look bad on a play, just like when you kind of play against somebody that you just been whooping up on them all day and then all of a sudden you get lowered to sleep and you give up a bad play like Rob Nikovich was my kryptonite. Back when I played for the Broncos and playing New England young, like it didn't matter for, you know, 58 plays out of the 59 that day, I would dominate him, run or pass, but just one play, he just would get me, right? And, and that one play would have me staying up late at night. So even though, you know, you got guys that make it look effortlessly, like you, it's all about the timing of it and, and, the togetherness of it and playing with one another and what did the other 10 guys do on that play? Because you can go back and look at champ. There's times where wide receivers had had champ, had a step on champ. He had the ability to recover, had the quarterback maybe throwing the ball, but because like there was that enormous pressure, the quarterback gets sacked. So that's why I just love the game of football because it's really no man as an Island, you must draw your strength from others and you got to make sure that you rely on your teammates. We got a lot of Eric Dickerson's coming in here with the Rex Specs. Just standing up tall, just run, just that stride. Uh, Walter Payton, you got a couple of Walter Paytons and a couple of sweetness. Um, Marshall Falk, absolutely. Barry Sanders, Michael Vick, Jerry Rice. Jerry did make it look easy. You know, it's funny with Jerry, with Jerry Rice. And I know that the game evolves, and I know that receivers, you know, are a little different now than they used to be. But Jerry Rice's thing, and he's the best receiver of all time, so you can take it how you want. But every single route looks exactly the same coming off the line of scrimmage. You explode off the line of scrimmage, and your first three steps are the same no matter what. You're attacking the leverage of the DB, and they don't know whether you're going right. They don't know whether you're going left. They don't know if it's a short route. They don't know if it's a long route. Every single route looks exactly the same coming off the line of scrimmage. The, the same can't be said these these days with a lot of receivers. They want to dance on the line of scrimmage. They want to set you up with this. They want to set you up with that. That was not the Jerry Rice style. Jerry Rice was was getting into the route as fast as he could. Um, uh, Lance Allworth. We got Lance Allworth on the text line. There we go. Lynn Swan. Absolutely. Um, Tony Dorsett. Look at this. Gail Sayers. We got some great names coming in from the past. Um, and we got a couple line linemen. Munoz and Randall McDaniel. Mm-hmm. And then we got uh, Mahomes joking. And here. <laughs> the Joker. Make it look easy. Nikola Jokic, though. Nikola yes, Jokic. He doesn't make it look easy. All right, you mentioned something earlier a couple minutes ago about um, Ryan Clady saying that Jay Cutler bailed him out because he got rid of the ball early. And it's a nice segue to the piece that I wrote on denversports.com about my concerns about Russell Wilson going into the season. Now, this is based on evidence, and I know that a lot of folks are very optimistic that Sean Payton is going to turn around this Russell Wilson project. But let's just look at the most recent evidence that Russell Wilson has given us on the football field, and that's last year. 
Okay, 2022, the age of 34, Russell Wilson threw for his his lowest completion percentage of his career at 60.5. He was 4'11", 4-11 as a starter. He's a little taller than 4'11", I think. He was 4-11 as a starter. He threw 16 touchdowns in 15 games, and he threw 11 picks. By far the worst season of his career. Now, to assume that Sean Payton is going to get the old Russell back is to also assume that Nathaniel Hackett is just that Awful of a head coach. And that's a step I'm not necessarily willing to take. I cannot put it all on Nathaniel Hackett for Russell's performance last year. But before I get into, you know, the the breakdown or whatever the article, can you put that on Nathaniel Hackett last year or do you put a lot of some of that blame on Russell? How do you how do you parse that? I, I think it starts with Nathaniel Hackett, it ends with Russell Wilson. So um I'm not willing to put all the blame on Nathaniel Hackett, but I'm willing to put, honestly, Nate, about 80% of it because I think that as a football coach, as a head coach, it's your job to kind of rail this thing back in. You know, you're not going to get the office. You're not going to get the special treatment. Um, in practice, we're not going to sit there and encourage you to run around and keep on playing. No, we're going to, you know, bring this thing up and tell you the importance of this is red area. We got to do this whole drill over again until we do feel comfortable with the timing and you are throwing the ball down the field because guess what? We don't want you to get hurt as well. So I think the thought process was completely wrong. And when you look at Nathaniel Hackett starting off saying, we're not going to do seven-on-seven. We're not going to do one-on-ones. The seven-on-seven helps a quarterback. I've never met a quarterback that doesn't love seven-on-seven and just to get ready to understand their their wide receivers, their tight ends, their running backs a little bit better. So I think you started off kind of behind the, the learning curve with the Denver Broncos. And then, you know, Week five, throwing all your playbook out the window and, and reinventing the wheel with a new run game and not doing a wide zone that hurt this football team. But also, and this will be my last thing, Nate, is there had to be a reason why Russell Wilson felt comfortable enough to have plays up that are not in the playbook in his office out there at the Broncos facility. And that's on the head coach. Nathaniel Hackett could have nipped that in the bud day one. Nathaniel Hackett could have nipped all of this in the bud. Now, do I, am I mad at Russell Wilson for thinking that he was something that he wasn't? Yeah. And I think that Russell Wilson over, over, um, overlooked the fact that football's a team sport, but also overlooked the fact that you got to trust the coach's eyes because they're the ones that are the eye in the sky. And I don't believe that Russ ever did that last year. Yeah. My concerns are these as a, as a, as a pass catcher, as a wide receiver tight end. Russell Wilson is not honing his instincts to get the ball out of his hand. He's honing his instincts to make miraculous plays outside of the pocket and extend plays. Now, uh, the, the people coming after me on Twitter are, um, are, who are, are quibbling with the article that I wrote are saying, you took all that from this video up at Boulder because the video at Boulder, when he's out there running around and, and doing the drills led by Jake Heaps, the man he pays, Money to be his personal coach. So those are drills that Russell likes, okay? And the drills that I was watching him run are not drills that I've ever, ever, ever seen any other quarterback run in my life as, as, you know, a football fan, as a football player, and now as a football whatever, analyst, writer guy. Okay, so that is unusual. The way he prepares himself is unusual. Last year he came here and he put on some weight and he thought he was going to be a pocket passer. I think he was on to something there. I think he had the right idea because he is 35 years old. And when he did try to get out and make stuff happen, he got hurt. And he didn't look as dynamic as he did early in his season. Some folks said that was because he was heavy. 
I don't necessarily think it was because it was heavy. I think it was just because Father Time catches up and the dudes who are chasing you get faster and faster every year and you don't get any faster. You're getting slower. You're going the opposite direction. Russell, if you want to play till you're 40, you got to get the ball out of your hands. That's the way I feel about it. So my concerns are about the muscle memories he's creating through these drills that are going to tell him when the pocket starts to collapse or he sees any sort of pressure to go out and make a miraculous throw instead of ditch the ball and live to fight another day. His body cannot take the type of pounding it could 10 years ago. We saw that last season, and my concerns are more based on his health than his ability to make a miraculous throw out of the pocket. Of course he can do that. We've seen him do that. But that's a one play out of 20 type of thing. What are you doing on the three-step drops? You're getting it out of your hand on time in the window that is supposed to be there accurately so that your guy can catch it and run with it. How many plays did you see last year when a guy caught the ball with space in front of him and made a big play after that? Do you remember any? Um, a big play after that. Uh, the deep one to Jalen Virgil, right? Um, but there were few and far between. Yeah, because he wasn't getting the ball out of his hand on time accurately to his guys with room in, run, in front of them to run. This is something that, and I, and I can't imagine Nathaniel Hackett didn't see that and wasn't trying to coach that up. Nathaniel Hackett is the whipping boy here, but he is not stupid. He knows football. How did he get this job? How did he get the OC job in New York? Is he really a clown? Okay, so why at the end of the season, the last two weeks, why did it look different offensively? Why did it look like Russell Wilson was getting the ball out of his hands? Why did it look like the passes just looked more accurately? Why did it look like this offense was a little bit more aggressive at the end of the season for the last two games when Jer Bear was the head coach? It was a more balanced play-calling attack, I would say. Okay. Yeah. So isn't that on the coaching, though? It, like, I, I get what you're saying, but don't we all fall into – a place when we go to these facilities and, you know, we want to go back to our guys. Don't we all create bad habits? You know, I've heard coaches' philosophies on, yeah, you know, nine, these six weeks, these guys are going to go train at their own place and they're going to kind of, you know, go backwards a little bit because, you know, they're going to do things their way and they're going to listen to their guru. I look at like Trent Williams. Trent Williams is one of the best left tackles in the league. And I also look at Chris Forster as one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. But yeah, he'd get frustrated with Trent going to see his trainer and Trent works his butt off. Trent will stay there and show up at 8 a.m. and be at his training facility until 5 p.m. every single day. That's how he works. He's out there on the field doing field work. And then he's inside doing weight room stuff. Then he's back out there on the field. But he's creating bad habits. His offensive line coach is saying he's creating bad habits. Now you get to practice and you're, you know, got to pivot and you start building them up the right way or the right way that you see fit and almost correct in certain things. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett corrected anything with Russell Wilson last year. I think it was like, that's what you want to do, Russ? Okay. Sounds good. Um, hey, really? you want to correct? I mean, the conversations that I've had, uh, I know for a fact that week one, <clears throat> the Broncos played against Seattle. We all know that. But I've talked to a couple separate, couple of people and all these parties that I've talked to say that Russ was sitting there saying, I promise you they're going to play this defense. I promise you they're getting ready to do this. And the plays that we have in, watch, they're going to work. We're going to kill them. And Nathaniel Hack is saying, no, they have not been doing that. 
And yet Nathaniel Hackett is still conceding to Russell Wilson, allowing Russell, okay, that's what you like. That's what you want to check into. These are the plays that you want to run. Okay, we'll continue to do that because I'm trusting you in a situation like that. So if you're trusting a quarterback in a situation like that and it's week one and you're the eyes in the skies, how much are you really correcting this guy during the season? I don't think you're correcting him that much. And that's the problem. I think Russ had the right idea of wanting to be this pocket passer for longevity and not to get hurt. But at the same time, I don't think he had the personnel. And if you don't have the personnel, now Nathaniel Hackett as a play caller, you have to call the plays that you do have the personnel for. And a lot of times last year, that wasn't happening. And how about another thing? Tell your quarterback, hey, I'm when I call a play in, I expect you to run this play. You know, I don't want this to be a check-in show where now you run the play that you feel like running because the play that you feel like running might be good for you and that wide receiver or you and that tight end, but might be horrible for the other nine guys that are out there on the field with you guys at that time. 55 sacks last year, 60.5 completion percentage, the lowest of his career. How does Russell turn that around and get back to form? That's what we're talking about. We're going to continue this conversation next.